Hey, would you stand to your feet? We honor the reading of God's word. And oh man, I got a good word for you guys today. I think I think God's gonna bless you. I got born again while I was putting this all together. I just is a wonderful thing. James chapter two. Been preaching a series through the book of James. And uh, man, it, it's challenging me. It's encouraging me in a in a mighty way. And uh, we kind of turn a corner. Last uh, two weeks ago, rather, I shared about dead faith versus alive faith. I mostly focus on the dead faith, but today we're going to move into the realm of what is living faith. What is faith that's alive? Faith that actually changes things. So James chapter two. Um. We're going to begin at verse 20, and we'll read through 26. New King James, I'm reading from today, and says this. Do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham, everyone say Abraham. Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see, faith was working together with his works, and by works, Faith was made perfect. Wow. The scripture was fulfilled. It says Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. He was called the friend of God. Oh, you pause right there. Anybody want to be a friend of God? You know, not everybody is automatically a friend of God. I know we used to sing that song, I'm a friend of God. There are few people who God called friend. The Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. But I have a suspicion that as we live lives of faith that please God, there may come a time where he says, that's my friend. That guy will believe me for anything. That's a little bonus sermonette for you, but that's what I'm contending. I want to be a friend of God. I want to get to heaven and God look at me and say, hello, friend. Hello, friend. So you see that a man is justified by works, not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab, everybody say Rahab. Rahab, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers or spies and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Wow. Let's pray. Oh my goodness. I don't want to have dead faith. I don't want to have a dead walk with God. I want it to be alive by faith. So let's pray right now and let's ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. God, I just commit this time to you. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us and minister it to us through your word this morning. I pray, Lord, for a great anointing to be released right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, church, help me pray. If you have the liberty, pray with your spirit. Welcome the Holy Spirit now. I pray, God, for a mighty anointing to sweep across this room. Give us eyes to see, ears that hear, a heart and a mind that perceives what your spirit is speaking. Jesus, you were anointed to preach the word, and I ask over my life that you would anoint me to preach under the unction of your spirit. I resist the enemy. He who would seek to distract, to distort, to, to, to uproot or devour your word as it comes forward. I pray, Lord, give us liberty in receiving your word today in the mighty, powerful, overcoming name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody say, amen, amen. amen. You may be seated. Wow. This word, it got in me. By the way, I do have the notes in the Bible app. If you'd like to pull that up, you can look under in the version Bible app. You can 
open up under events, you'll see our, our church listed there, and I have all the scriptures, all the reference. So I'm going to give you the title of what I'm sharing today, because this is, I think this is going to help some of you. Um, to put it in perspective, uh, uh, we talked last week about, uh, or sorry, two weeks ago, about what dead faith is. Everybody say dead faith. How many of you want to have dead faith? I'm just making sure you're paying attention. Nobody wants dead faith. But the Bible gave a couple different examples. You talk about how if you see someone in need, you see somebody hungry, you see somebody without clothing, and you just say, uh, best of luck to you, God bless you, even if you pray for them, and it's within your power to do something for them, but you don't. The Bible says that's faith without works, or it's faith without action, and that's dead faith. Faith compels us to action. It moves us to actually do something. Faith is more than just saying, I believe in God. We talked about earlier in James how even demons do that. You know, demons believe. Satan can quote scripture. Just knowing the contents of this book and saying, yeah, I, I attribute uh, faith to that is not enough. You'll remember John the Baptist. These guys, he was talking to the Pharisees, religious folks. And I mean, these guys knew the word. In fact, they added to the word. They added extra scriptures, all kinds of stuff to it. But John the Baptist, man, he, he, he slammed them. He's like, prove by the way that you live that you have repented. Prove by the way that you live that this is actually transforming your life. And so it's very important we want to have faith that is alive. And so our text today in James, I think this is going to help us a lot. In fact, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The title of today's message is Three Legends of Faith. Three Legends of Faith. We read the passage a moment ago, and I had you repeat a couple names, and you might be searching, where's the third? And we'll get to that in a moment. But three legends of faith. These are three individuals in Scripture who did extraordinary things. They had faith in God, in the Word of God, and they proved it by things that they did, by actions that they took. And so the first of these three examples, uh, I don't really have points for you today. I have three people that we're going to highlight their lives. So the first is Abraham. Everybody say Abraham. Friend of God. Man of faith. This is the one the Bible repeatedly calls our father. Do you ever sing that song? Father Abraham, many sons. I got in trouble singing that because I'd always like you know, try and punch my neighbor, you know, right arm, left arm. I was a kid that would get kicked out of children's church and sent back to big person church, and I didn't like that, but the Lord has restored me. He's, <laughs> Ms. Jen's here laughing because she works with young kids. She's got knuckleheads like that. Hey, God can raise them up. They might be a pastor one day. Come on. Hallelujah. And so, uh, anyway, but Father Abraham, more than a song, he's a real man. He was one. I mean, this is, his story is incredible. God comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God comes to Abraham and speaks to him. You can read these stories. I'm just going to summarize and paraphrase a little bit. But in Genesis chapter 12, he receives a visitation from God. And he says, Abraham, I want you to leave this area, leave your family, Leave, your, leave everything you're comfortable with, your home. I want, you, I want you to leave everything and go to a land that I will show you. 
I mean, that's a scary call to answer. Like, God, where are we going? I'll tell you when we get there. Doesn't even tell him where they're going. And the Bible says the next day Abraham left. That's faith. He believed the word of God and he took action in what God had asked him to do. The next day he uproots his family, everybody around him, and they go and they begin to trek across the land. Absolutely incredible. Sometime later, God comes to him. He was called Abram at the time, which means father. Everybody say father. And it's an ironic name because God, while he visits with him, tells him, Abram, I'm going to use you. Out of you is going to come my people. All nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you and your descendants. I'm going to give you children. He takes them outside. Look at the stars. Can you count them? As many as the stars are in heaven, that is how abundant your descendants are going to be. He says, look at the sand. They were in the desert. Look at all the sand grains. As numerous as the sand on the earth is, that's how numerous your descendants are going to be. Twice the Lord speaks to him. He's in his 90s at this point in time. In fact, I'll just throw this out there. 25 years Abram contended to see his promise fulfilled. 25 years. I know there's some of us, we come down to one healing time altar call. God doesn't do it right then and there, and we just give up. It must not be God's will. 25 years this man believed God. He believed. Everybody say, he believed God. Well, Abram has another visitation. You can read this in Genesis chapter 17. The Lord comes to him, and this time he cuts a covenant with him. And what that means is he's like, I'm going I'm to make an agreement with you. I'm making promises to you, and he seals the promise that he gave to Abram. And a couple different things happen. This is wild. He says, the way that we're going to confirm that I'm in covenant with you is uh, I want you, Abram, and I want everybody, every male in your household to be circumcised. Praise God. Everybody say circumcised. This is how you know, by the way, that Abram was not just daydreaming. He really had a visitation from God. Right? People start cults in the way that they say, well, the way that we're going to confirm an agreement is you're going to give me a lot of money. Right? You're going to do something. You're going to let me sleep with your whatever. All right? That's how earthly people start cults. But Abram, nope, complete opposite. Um, You're going to circumcise you. He goes back. Could you imagine that meeting when he goes back and pulls together the heads of all the households? Listen, guys, I heard from God. <laughs> We're not having a baptism service. We're going to have a circumcision service. As, I mean, that's what they did. That's how he confirmed this covenant. That's obedience, friend. He heard from God and he obeyed. And that's sacrifice. That was a hard thing to obey. But he did it. And not only that, when the Lord spoke to him, he changed his name from Abram, which means father, to Abraham, which means the father of a multitude of nations. I want you to just think. I mean, we know how this story goes. This is why it's not, I mean, it's not a stretch for us. But I want you to put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Abram is an old man. His wife is an old woman, well past the age that they could have children. 
And he's walking around for years. I'm going to be the father of a multitude of nations. I'm going to be the father of a multitude of nations. I mean, his wife even laughs at this idea. And he keeps on adding to this. We're going to be circumcised. And one day he comes back and he says, listen, guys, uh, my name's not Abram anymore. My name is now Abraham. Now, our names don't mean much in English. You might know what your name means. Uh, you looked it up in a book or something. But in Hebrew, these guys knew what their names meant. And every time Abraham said his name, he was declaring the promise of God. I think that's why God changed it. So that his word, every time somebody called his name, he's hearing the word of the Lord. Every time he introduced himself to somebody, he was hearing the word of the Lord. Now, he could have heard that. He could have had a moment where, where God, I mean, you just think about it. What did this look like? God visits Abraham, changes his name. A lot of people, I'm giving you a new identity or I'm, I'm solidifying the promise that I made to you. He could have walked out of that encounter with God, not told anybody. Still gone by Abram. But no, from that point forward, everybody called him Abraham. You are the father of a multitude of nations. I want you to think about This ought to inspire us. What does living faith look like? It's hearing and it's quick obedience. It's obedience even when it costs you personal sacrifice. It's carrying the word of the Lord and declaring it to be true. No matter how difficult, no matter how people might insult you, you're crazy, you're in your hundreds. Abram, what are you talking about? That's faith. That's living faith. This is, he's one of the legends of our faith. You realize that's your father. That's your father in the faith. The Bible says you are the seed of Abraham. You're descendant from him. Father Abraham. So the second, the second legend of faith. Everybody say legend. The second legend of faith that James mentioned is in verse 25. Verse 25, if you go down just a little bit. It says, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers or the spies and sent them out another way. So the second legend of faith that James highlights here, what is a, what is a model for what living faith looks like? Let's look at Rahab. Everybody say Rahab. Um, what does the Bible call her? Rahab the harlot. I had this thought, and maybe this is a crazy thought. I just wonder, like we meet her in heaven. Hey, I'm Rahab. Oh, the, the harlot? Like, I, I don't, you guys, I mean, the Bible still calls her that, but it's amazing. I, I just, can, can I just pause here and just remind you? Like, God really takes joy in using people like this. I don't know if you call this your church, but if you've made this your church, I want you to know your pastor was a drug addict whom God has redeemed and raised up. You ought to hear Ryan's testimony. Oh, my goodness, what he has come out of, what God has done in his wife's life. I mean, it is mind-boggling. And I'm looking around, and we could share stories about where we used to be and what God has done. I'm, tell I'm telling you guys, we got addicts. 
We got violent people. We got ex-cons, hallelujah. We got people who are in sexual immorality. We might even have some harlots in our midst. But God, the Bible says that he uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Oh, my goodness. Come on, elbow your neighbor. Say, he's talking about you. God's in the business of using people like that. So if you're sitting here today, man, you might this might be your first time in church, or maybe you just got born again a couple months ago. Pastor, you don't know what my background looks like. You don't know how broken I got a record, Pastor. But I got a record too. Hallelujah. And God is using it. God is using it to what? To confound the wise. And even the Bible says, oh, man, I'm getting too excited right now. The book of Philippians says that, that, that Jesus and the work on, well, we don't have a cross here. Jesus, and I, we got one upstairs. Uh, uh, Jesus, by his work on the cross, has nailed every accusation against us to the cross. And then it says that he is putting the devil to open shame through you and through me and his work on the cross. Oh. So that's why. Right, Pastor, why are you always talk about your, your drug background and all this and that? Because every time I do it, shames the devil. It brings shame to, I'm walking free from that world for over 20 years now. Never gone back to it, and I've had opportunities. I was cleaning a Turo car just a couple months ago. This is true. I was cleaning a Turo car just a couple, we rent out a couple cars. And I go in there, I was cleaning the car, and under the passenger seat, I see a, a, a fat little nugget of weed. The devil. I've not seen or even had the opportunity to go to that. I left that world, man. When I got born again, I knew I couldn't be around that world. And my friends, you know, come on, Jake, you don't need to do nothing. And, but I knew I was weak, and I wasn't going to get around that again. For 20 years, what was it, 2004, we're right at 20 years now. And so I, I left that world, but this was the first time. I, I, I knew what it was right away. I, I picked that thing up, and I held it. And you know what I did? You like this salty, huh? <laughs> I held this thing. And so what I did is I, I immediately took out my phone, and I took a picture of this thing, and I took a video of me throwing it on the ground and grinding it into the ground under my foot. Wow, that's shame the devil. I sent it to my brother, Jeremy, too, because he came out of the same world that I did. I sent it to my wife, and I just, you know, the devil, the devil's stupid. The devil's a liar. And he'll throw opportunity. I could have taken that. Nobody would have known. Nobody would have known. I could have snuck off somewhere and had me a good little time. But, uh, but I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it. Why? I have been redeemed. I have been transformed. In that moment where I crushed that thing, boy, I was shaming the devil. Hallelujah. You're going to have opportunities to do that. God is in the business. God is in the business of taking broken and ruined people like that and using them for his glory. So, Rahab, the harlot. Do you know her story? You ought to read it. It's in Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 2. You can read it on your own. But essentially what happens is, uh, is these guys go. They're beginning to spy out the land because finally, Joshua, man, we're going to take this land that God has promised to us. They begin to move into this land, and it's, it's incredible. They come in, and Rahab, God sets up a divine appointment and connects Rahab with these spies. And there's, a, there's an account that goes on, and it's, it's wild. You can read it in Joshua 2, but I'm going to summarize it for you today. They're standing on the roof, and Rahab begins to tell these 12 spies, 
we've heard about you. We've heard about Israel. And the terror of your God has swept the land. We heard about what happened in Egypt, about the plagues that came down, and how God delivered you from slavery. We heard about the Red Sea. You have a God who can split the sea, and you came across. We heard about two kings that rose up to fight against you, but how God himself fought on your behalf. I'm getting goosebumps talking about this. This is Rahab the harlot. She's in active prostitution. That's why nobody batted an eye. When people were going in and out of her house, it wasn't unusual for men to come into her house. And so she took in these spies. Nobody thought anything about it. They go into the house and she's sharing with them. And then she says, oh, I love this. She says, I will hide you. I will allow you to come and to go if when your God overthrows this city, spare me, spare my mom. Spare my dad, spare my siblings, spare my family. You know what she was doing? I mean, you just think, fast forward a couple weeks. Here come the children of Israel. They're in this walled up city. And they begin to walk around, march around this city. They're up there hurling insults, making fun of these fools. They're not attacking us. What are they doing? They're just walking in circles. They're going to play a trumpet. Who are these guys? And they're insulting. And you imagine Rahab this entire time. She could have thrown in with her people. Against all hope, this does not make any sense. They didn't come ready for war. They came with worship instruments and drums and praising the Lord. With the priests and the worshipers leading the line. What is that? That's faith. And she said, I'm with those guys. I'm with those guys. I'm going to believe that what God has done in them. Man, I'd rather throw in with them than, than stand with my own people. Guys, that's big. That's big. That's why she is called a legend of faith. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11, it lists an entire, what we call the hall of faith, an entire list of great people. I mean, it talks about Samson. It talks about Moses. It talks about Abraham. But guess who else makes it in there? Rahab, the harlot. She, I mean, oh my goodness. She had faith that says, I'm going to believe God more than the voices of criticism around me. I'm going to believe God even when it puts my life at risk. I'm going to believe God that will value God's people and his plan even over my own. And you know what's amazing? God does. He go, in fact, can I give you a little Bible insight? This is so cool. When the walls came down, everybody say down. They did not fall down. They were pushed down. You can look, the Hebrew reflects this, but they actually found and they uncovered the walls of Jericho. And you know what's interesting about it? The walls are still upright. Because when they came and when they made their shout and when they blasted those horns and they, they cried out to the Lord, the walls did not fall down. It was like God himself came and stomped it. It went down. They were buried instantly. That's what happened when those walls came down. And I can just imagine, apparently Rahab was living in one of, she was living on the wall. And so I don't know if God just kept one little tower up and like, oh, 
there's Rahab's house. And they went. They got her. Her entire family was saved. And this is what's crazy. Want to know something else crazy? A pagan, prostitute, Gentile, when you read about the lineage of Jesus, guess who Jesus, great, 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 I don't know, it's four or five, great grandma. You know who it is? Rahab. Rahab. Jesus could have attached his name to anybody, but if that doesn't speak to you about the redeeming power of God, I don't know what will. Jesus. Oh, you talk about a cleansed bloodline. I don't care what your history is. I don't care what your background is. Oh, my goodness. Jesus can redeem it. Wow. Now, here's the last one. So, we're talking about three legends of faith. Who was the first one? Everybody say Abraham. The father of faith. Number two is Rahab, a woman who believed what God was doing when nobody else did. Now, here's the third one. Oh, this one's my favorite. You say, where is it, Pastor Jacob? We read the passage. Have any of you been searching for it? You've been reading between the lines. Where is it? Look at verse 24. In fact, do you guys have this in the New Living Translation? Could you bring that up? If you have your, uh, the Bible app, I put it there. James 2.24. The New Living Translation says, <laughs> So we, this is right in between Abraham and Rahab. So we, everybody say we. So we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. You want to know who the third legend of faith is? It's you. It's you. You. Guys, this blows my mind, okay? Because talks about Abraham, and then it says, you. <laughs> so, we. And then it goes on and talks about Rahab. And if that's not enough to convince you, like, well, pastor, that's a little bit foggy. I don't know. We, uh, okay. Let me give you another one, and it's out of James as well. In James chapter 5, he's talking about a great prophet named Elijah. Elijah, man, he stood down the prophets of Baal, right? He, he spoke to the weather, and it stopped raining for years. And then he prophesied again to the weather, and it began. He outran horses under the anointing of God. I mean, this guy saw amazing miracles. And then the Bible says in James chapter 5, in verse 17, that Elijah had the same, this is the Amplified, the same physical, mental, and spiritual limitations and shortcomings that we do. The New Living Translation says that Elijah was as human as we are. Do you hear what he's saying? Elijah. Dead razor. Speaking to weather, and it obeys. Overthrowing Jezebel. Overthrowing false prophets. And then James, the word of God, says something absolutely insane. You are like him. You are like Elijah. Abraham, Rahab, you are like them. Just chew on that for a second. When are we 
going to position ourselves in faith and say, God, if you could use Abraham, an old man, if you could use Rahab and all of her mess, if you could use a guy like Elijah who was prone to depression and heaviness and ran away at times, if you could use these guys, why not me? Why not me? So you, oh my goodness, you can be a legend of faith. I, I've been so inspired. Worship team, would you come? We're going to pray in a moment. I feel like I run around the room. I have been so inspired. You know, last Sunday we were here, and during our regular healing time, there was a woman who had her deaf ear opened. And I mentioned some of these last week. Blind eyes opened. Brain cancer healed. God, God is able to do these things. But I remember I was hearing the testimony from Brother MJ right here. We were sitting down. We had a testimony night on a Thursday just a couple weeks ago. He said the first Sunday that he came to this church, the Lord gave me a word of knowledge. Began to speak to me about someone who had an injury in their wrist, in their hand. And he heard the word of the Lord. He believed that God was able to touch him. He came down for prayer, and God healed you. God healed him. I was hearing the same story from Michele. It's a couple weeks ago, first time in this church, maybe a second time. Believe the word of the Lord. God That's Leanne's story. First time Leanne came to this church, she got supernaturally healed. Like, what is that? Can I read to you guys one more verse? We're going to pray. God's, I, I, I'm trying to stretch you this morning. Mark chapter 11, verse 24. We don't know why MJ, why Leanne, Michele, Hunja. You want to know why these guys are receiving miracles? And they're, they're, they're just one of many. I could, we could tell stories all day about people that God has touched, that God has restored. Mark chapter 11 and verse 24. Jesus said these words, I tell you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you will receive them and you will have them. This is simple, friend. Whatever you, what are you asking for? Believe that you will receive them and you will have them. What are you believing for? Guys, I remember, I remember the exact spot that I was sitting in when I read that Bible verse for the first time in my life. I was a young boy. And I just rem I remember thinking in that moment, whatever I pray, I believe I will receive them. I, I and it wasn't until I got around theologians that they messed me up. Oh, you don't understand. That's not really what that means. It actually means this. It's not talking about anything. Oh, it has to be this and that. It's not really whatever. It has to be this and that. Oh, check the context, pastor. It's got to be in context. Okay, let's look at the context. You want to look at the context? Let's look at the context. Go back a few verses. Mark eleven twenty two. This is right after he's cursed a tree and it died. Disciples, they're amazed. How did this happen? And Jesus said, have faith in God. 
Everybody say, have faith. Have faith in God. For assuredly I say, whatever you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes what he says, it will be done. Whatever he has, whatever he says. And then, and then, whatsoever things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. That's the context. The context, guys, I know, we, we take illustrations and we say, oh, it's talking about spiritual mountains. No, it's not. No, it is not. Jesus, y'all been to Israel. You got mountains that are surrounding you everywhere. And he says, mountains, look at the mountain. Whatever. I was in Egypt. And they've got there's a little Christian sector in Cairo. It's a couple thousand people that live there. And they've got like stone carvings in everything, everywhere you go. And one of the stone carvings tells a story. You can see they've got carved in there where there was an army that was coming. This was years ago, but an army was coming to invade Egypt. And people of God gathered together. And this is the story that they tell. And they've got it carved into the mountain Jesus you said we could speak to mountains and they would move so the people of God began to contend and pray that the valley through which these people were going to come that God would cover it you can see etched into the stone a mountain that was picked up turned upside down and dropped right in that gap and when you look at the mountain, I'm to this day, you can see. I can see. I can see it. Now, you may not have faith for that, but I tell you, there were a group of believers in Cairo back in the day that they heard the word of God, they prayed, they believed, and they received what they prayed for. You say, Pastor, I don't believe that. That's fine. You're going to receive what you believe for. I'm going to contend. Could God pour out revival here? Absolutely he could. Could God bless your life? Absolutely he could. Could God save your marriage? Absolutely he could. Your prodigal child that's away, could God save that? Absolutely he could. What are you, it's just what are you bold enough to ask for? Hey. Sometimes I wish I could go back to 11-year-old Jacob who just read the Bible and believed it trying to get back there trying to get back there we get too smart too theological I love theology you guys hear me preach you know I love it but God help my unbelief help my unbelief don't let what I believe be filtered through some unbelieving theologian that taught something else Jesus you said it you meant it, and I believe it. Oh, oh Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Kielabasho kote. Shondor rabasi kielabasa kata. Shiara mambo se kielaremasu. Oh, shiara masa. Oh, Holy Spirit. Make this real to us. Make this real to us, oh God. Come on, would you stand all across this room right now?
Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, would you help us, God, to believe for impossible things. Help us to believe for bigger things, oh God. God, I believe you're going to raise up legends of faith right here in this place. You're going to raise us so we also can step into this, oh God. Oh Jesus, I pray, help us to shake off unbelief. Oh Lord. You know, God is gracious towards unbelievers, He's gracious. Remember, a father was challenged. Jesus, if you can do this. Jesus pushes back. If, if anything is possible to him that believes. And then he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. Guys, that's where I am today. I, I believe it, God, but I don't know if I believe it enough. I don't know if I believe it all the way. I'm not, I'm not moving mountains yet. So help the areas of unbelief in my life. If you're here today, I've got a simple call for us today. And you say, Pastor Jacob, I want to believe God for more. I'm believing God to stretch my capacity to believe for greater and bigger things. Come on, if God's tugging on your heart and there's something you ought to contend for, I want you to get out of your seat right now. And I want you to come down here to this altar. And we're going to pray. We're going to believe for bigger. We're going to believe for more. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah.